Go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 3. After we wrapped up the Minor Prophets a couple months back, we opened our Bibles again to the book of 1 John because the the, the book of 1 John chapter 3 specifically is a very helpful follow-up to that series as we were examining the love of God. And we have been looking at uh, the first three verses of chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, as being a very useful roadmap for helping us understand how spiritual growth takes place. And in that regard, I do think that this morning's message is going to be a helpful companion message to the one we've already heard in Big Church. I will confess to you that I was half expecting Pastor John to turn to this passage because he was talking about some very comparable principles and truths, and I was kind of praying in my heart the whole time, please don't, please don't, please don't. That's the preacher's worst nightmare is when another preacher preaches your passage on the same day, especially when you go to Grace Church and John MacArthur is your pastor. (laughs) So I'm glad he did not do that, but I am thankful that we can spend some time together here in 1 John 3, 2 uh, together today. Very profound passage, uh, some wonderful truth that makes um, our responsibilities in the process of sanctification very clear. And it's my hope and prayer that it will be as helpful to you as it has been to me this week as I've been thinking through it. You know, it's amazing that growth always happens, and you cannot stop it if you try. I went to pick up my daughter, Emma. She's five now, five and a half, as she would be very quick to remind us this morning. I went to pick her up the other day, and it was amazing because her feet dangled down below my knees, and I could not believe how big she was getting. And I said to her, Emma, you have to stop growing. And she says, Daddy, I can't. And I said, well, what if I put books on your head? Would that help? (laughs) No, Daddy. I said, well, what if I stopped feeding you? Would that help? No, Daddy. I said, what if I squeezed you so tight you couldn't breathe? Would that help? She said, Daddy. (laughs) Now, besides being abusive, (laughs) none of those things will help. Because growth is a steady process in the physical world, right? There's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to slow it down. It is just going to happen whether you like it or not. And as parents, we don't typically like it, but it happens. And the same thing is true with spiritual growth. And that was the point that Pastor John was making this morning, is that spiritual growth in the life of the believer is a steady process that will be happening. It must happen. If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, growth will happen. And you will look back and you will see yourself and you will say, I am not who I once was. Just as a parent looks at a growing child and says, how did this happen? You have the ability to look back upon your own spiritual life and see the way that you interact with different uh, situations in your life, different obstacles that come your way, different trials that intrude into your normal patterns that come from the hand of the Lord. The, The way that you respond to those things, the way that you deal with your sin, should look different today than it did in the long history back long ago. You should be growing. That's a normal, natural part of the Christian life, and it's frankly what is expected for everyone who is a genuine believer. And spiritual growth, that is the natural goal of the Christian life from a human perspective, is that we want to see growth occurring in our lives. And I think we could just do a quick survey of the fact that spiritual growth is the natural goal for us in our own Christian walk. You see that really in every aspect and arena of life. You see it for parents in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where Paul says, 
Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, right? Grow them in Christ, he's saying. Then he says, it's also your goal for marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. The reason that Christ did what he did for us is to cause us to grow. And the reason that husbands are to do what they do is so that their wives might grow. Spiritual growth is the goal of the marriage relationship, the parenting relationship. It's also the goal for church members. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, God's divine power has granted to us corporately everything now pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. Again, he's saying the goal is for us to be growing together and God has given us everything that we need in order to grow. It even talks about spiritual growth of the people being the goal for pastors. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, what is the point of ministry? To proclaim Christ, admonishing, teaching, so that we may present every man complete in who? Christ, right? This idea of growth in Christ. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. His desire was to see growth taking place in the lives of the people for whom he was responsible. Our, our desire is to see growth taking place in our own lives as we interact with one another. Our desire must be to see growth taking place in our relationship with our spouse and certainly with our children as well. But the point is this, in every area of your life, spiritual growth, demonstrable growth in the person of Christ is to be the ultimate objective. And the common denominator in all of those passages that I just read to you is that that spiritual growth is all measured and compared to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the standard against which we grow. He is, and our knowledge of him, is the means by which we grow. And that is exactly what is borne out here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us there, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And in this one verse, in these, I guess it's two sentences, we see very clearly the pathway to growth. Now, Last time we were together, we looked at verse 1 of this chapter, and we said that is what we must know in order to grow, right? We must know all about the love of God that has transformed our lives. The love of God is the foundation of our relationship to him, and it is the motivating force behind our growth in him. John says, if you don't know God's love, you don't know him. It's amazing because he talks about the love of God three times more than any other book in the New Testament here in 1 John. I mean, John is a guy that was absolutely floored by the idea and preoccupied with fleshing out the implications of this truth. And that's exactly what he does as he goes from verse 1 down to verse 2. In verse 1, he says, you must know all about the love of God because in verse 2, here are the implications of knowing that love. The implications are that you will grow. 
So we go from what to know to how to grow, and then the next time we're together in verse 3, we'll be looking at what you are then to show in light of the growth, okay? That's just kind of a brief roadmap of where we're going. But growth, it's all about conformity to Christ and being restored in him to the image of God that was shattered at the time that mankind fell. We come into this world broken not imaging God the way that we were created to do. And salvation is the process by which God takes us and begins to restore his image that was so broken in us, and he does that by conforming us to the perfect image of his Son. And that is what spiritual growth is all about. But this verse this morning, it's going to tell us something very clear. It's going to tell us that your spiritual walk is defined by your vision of Jesus Christ. When you see him clearly, you can grow. Not only can you grow, but you must grow. When you see the person of Jesus Christ, when you understand who he is and what he has done and his love on your behalf, that will motivate your spiritual growth. So if you see a lack of growth in your life, the obvious implication is that there is something impeding your vision of him. You must see him clearly in order to grow spiritually. That is the point of 1 John 3, 2. Your spiritual walk is defined by your vision of Jesus Christ. And really in this verse, we find four aspects of spiritual growth that we must understand in order to effectively begin to know how do I grow more and how do I grow faster. Those are the answers that 1 John 3, 2 is going to give us. So let's look at these four aspects together. Number one, we see the foundation of growth. Right away in the verse, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. He says we are children of God. And and that is really the presupposition that he gives us here for the enti- everything that is going to follow next. He says, you have to understand this, and this must be true of you before you can even continue the discussion. Because if you don't know him you can't possibly hope to be like him. You see, knowing about God, it's not the same thing as knowing God, right? Many of us know all about who uh, uh, Bill Gates is, for instance, right? We understand that he's a very, very wealthy man, but it's almost like a child who says, when I grow up, I want to be just like Bill Gates. Well, you ask that child, do you know where Bill Gates lives? No, Do you know what he does? No. Do you know how he got to where he is? No. Do you know what training he had to give him the information he needed to get where he is? No. Do you know what his personality is like? No. Do you know what mistakes he made? No. You see, the child only sees the fantastic wealth and wants that. He knows about Bill Gates, but he knows nothing about Bill Gates. He does not know him personally. He has no idea about how to get from where he is to where Bill Gates is. There's no point of connectivity there because he does not actually have a relationship with Bill Gates to know all the information that one would need to know in order to become like him. Same thing's true here, right? That you cannot possibly hope to be like God if all you know is things about him, but you fail to actually know him. And that is what... John is saying here in this passage, he's reaffirming and reiterating the fact that we don't just know things about God. In verse 1, he says, look at the greatness of God's love for us that he would call us the children of God. 
But here in verse 2, he goes on and he, he deepens the understanding. He says, we don't just know about the love of God. We actually know and have experienced the love of God. We don't just know about him. We actually know him personally because now, and I love this, now we are. It is so definitive. He's saying now at the present time, and it's a critical bridge between the love of God that was manifested in the past and the results of that love that are going to come in the future when we are perfected in his image once more. You see, so many people, they see the great riches of God's glory. They understand all about those riches, but because they don't actually know God, because they are not related to him as his child, they don't have answers about who he is or how to go about growing in likeness to him. You see, spiritual growth, the whole foundation, this is the first aspect, the whole foundation of spiritual growth is predicated upon the reality that you actually know God and are walking in a relationship with him. You cannot just know about him and expect that anything in your life will change at all. You actually have to know him. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Let me just read this passage for you because it's so clear. It says, In Christ, we who are his children are rooted and grounded in love. And the implication then of being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ is that we now comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and can know experientially the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He's saying it goes beyond just what you know to that which you are now experiencing when you have a genuine relationship of love with the Father through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And why does all of this exist? Well, Ephesians 3 says it. So that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Knowing the love of God, experiencing the love of God, being his child, that is the very foundation of being filled up into the fullness of who God is. And that was the wonderful reality given to us back in verse 1 where John explodes with this statement that serves as the whole foundation. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. Beloved, now we are children of God. That's the whole foundation for what he's about to say next about how you are to grow. So the first aspect of spiritual growth, the first thing that you must know in order to comprehend how you go about growing is that God loves you and you are walking in relationship to him. If you do not know that love, if you have not experienced that love, then there can be no growth. You are still dead in your trespasses and sins. But, If that is true of you, as John affirms that it is for all those of us who know Christ, he says, if that is true of you, now we are children of God, then here's what it means for you. And he proceeds in verse 2, and he begins to explain to us not just the foundation for growth, but he begins to explain here what are the obstacles to your growth, right? You cannot fully grow quickly if you do not understand the obstacles that are in your path. And when you bump up against them, if you don't recognize them, how do you get over or around them? So 
he tells us here exactly what the obstacle to our growth is. He says, here's the obstacle. It has not yet appeared what we will be. He's saying, if you are a Christian, then you are not what you used to be, but you are also not yet what you will be. I love how John said it this morning. He said, you are both simultaneously righteous and sinful right now, and there is something in the way of your conformity to Christ. So if we are to grow, we must identify that obstacle, and really, it is our sin. This passage makes the obstacle clear. It is a vision impairment. There is a lack of clear vision. There is obscured clarity. You can't yet see fully the glory of Christ, and therefore you're not able to reflect his glory. And the obscurity of his person can either be ignorance, where you just have not paid attention to get to know him in his word, or it could be your sinfulness, where you are actively inserting things between your eyes and his face. But there's an obstacle there where Paul is saying the fact that you still now live on this earth with this flesh wrapped up in it prevents you from fully seeing the appearing of what you will be in the person of Christ. And as long as you're here, that will not yet appear. The obstacle to your growth is the fact that you can't see the person of Christ as clearly as one day you will see him. Let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine that you meet a world-renowned artist and he says to you, you perhaps have a vision impairment yourself, let's say you have cataracts, all right? And this artist says to you, a person with cataracts, I need you to take this masterpiece, let's call it a Van Gogh, and I need you to reproduce it, oil on canvas, and I need you to do it by tomorrow. You ask the question, well, where is the original painting? I, I've seen a Van Gogh before, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't memorized it. I don't know enough about what it looks like to really reproduce it, not to mention the fact that I really don't have the skill for that. And the artist says, well, you don't, you don't get to see the original. And imagine saying, well, I have cataracts, and even if I could see the original, I can't clearly see what I'm doing, and I can't clearly see where, what colors are there and, and where they're supposed to go. I, I need those floaters pulled out. And he says, well, you can't have the surgery either. And you would say to that artist, well, the task that you've given me is impossible. I don't have the skill. I don't have the model. And I don't have the ability. I, I can't clearly see it. And as long as you can't see the goal, you will not be successful. You see, you need to understand and see and comprehend the original in order to be able to reproduce and come to the objective. And that is the point of the terminology that John is using here. He says, Beloved, it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. He uses the word phanerao. It means for something to be made known or to be manifested. It means to show something or for something to become visible. Very graphically, it could mean to rip the veil off of something, right? He's saying it has not yet been unveiled what we are to be. We can't clearly see what we are to be. 1 John 2, 1 says, The life was manifested, and in it we became aware of eternal life. You see, in the person of Christ, the blinders of who God expects us to be begin to come off and begin to be removed. The cataracts are cut off. The blindfold is untied. And in the person of Christ, as we begin to see him, true life is revealed. 
it is manifested. It begins to slowly appear for us. And yet, as we heard this morning already, even though we can feel the heat of that light and even though we can perceive the brilliance because God through his Holy Spirit has brought us to life, we still cannot bring it into perfect focus. Christ has appeared and yet the final conclusion of him and all his glory and what we will be is still obscured from us. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, here on this earth, in this body, I know only in part. But in that day, when I stand before him, I will know fully, just as he has fully known me. As fully as he knows me, so too will I fully know him. And that day when I stand before him and my vision is no longer impaired and I can, I can see him clearly. So we have to ask the question, what then is obscuring our vision of the person of Christ today? First, it's your ignorance of him, where you just simply haven't spent enough time getting to know him and walking with him in a relationship to him. It's clear that the vision is impaired, your vision is impaired by the limitations of your finite humanity and the corruption of your flesh. Your human ignorance of an infinitely glorious God, it's an obstacle to your full and comprehensive perception of the person of Christ. And this is why we study truth. It's why we study scriptures. It's why we study doctrine and theology to get to know him and who he is because, because he's infinite, we can never fully get down to the bottom of who we know him to be. There's always more to learn. And as we seek to eradicate that ignorance through study, we get to know him better. We get to know him more. And the more we know him, the more clearly we see him. And the more clearly we see him, the more like him we are able to pattern our behavior. But it's not just your ignorance. It's also your sinfulness that is your obstacle. You see, because we are still wrapped up in the clothing of our flesh as long as we're here on this earth. And any willingness on your part to entertain sinfulness is yet another obstacle to the proper perception of his glorious nature. When your mind is filled with sin, when your heart is corrupted by your fleshly desires, you have no ability to see him for who he is in the greatness of his holy love and glory for you. When your mind is so preoccupied with fulfilling your own desires, how can you possibly be preoccupied with fulfilling his? When your heart is filled with corrupted desires, how can you be concerned about the priorities of God's heart for you? You see how how sinfulness allowed to fester in your own soul and life, it shades your vision of God. It, it's as though rather than taking off the blinders, you're wrapping more on as quickly as you can. And John is saying here, that is not behavior consistent with one who knows Christ. Because if you know him, you're doing everything you can to rip the bandages off your face so you can see him clearly. But don't go wrapping more on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, all that God has prepared for those who love him. 
We yearn for a glimpse of his glory, and that yearning should motivate us now to understand and eradicate that which prevents us from seeing clearly. Here's John's point. If you know the love of God, then you must grow in your ability to see Christ. And that means removing the obstacles, getting serious about ripping them out of the way. Anything that prevents your clear sight of him, get rid of it. You search for him in his word. You seek to understand his mind, his desires, his commands. And it it means that you actively search for sin in your life and toss it out. Get rid of the vision impairments, he says. He says, it has not yet appeared what we will be, and that is the reason why you are not what you should be. That's his implication. So, if our limitations and our sinfulness are the obstacles that cloud our vision of Christ, what is the goal that we must pursue in order to grow? We've seen the foundation, we've seen the obstacles that prevent growth, but what is the ultimate goal? That is number three here in verse 2. And John gives us that as well. He says, here's the goal. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. That is the objective. You see, on any journey, understanding the goal is very important. When you don't know the goal of where you're trying to go, there's a word for that. It's a word that most men understand very well. The word is lost, right? means you're lost. If you don't know where you're going, it means you're lost. And it means that you need to stop and ask directions. You need to know where you're going. You need to know the goal. You need to know how far away it is in order to plan properly, to know if you have the right directions and the right provisions and enough gasoline in your tank to get there. You need to know what the goal is, where it is, and how to get there and how far away it is. My kids have a, have a hard time understanding distances right now. They also have a hard time understanding time right now. And so it's very, very hard to explain to them how far away we are from certain points, right? Where they say, how far away are we? And it's not going to help to tell them we're 45 minutes away because they ask one minute later, how far away are we now? And you say 44 minutes and they still don't understand how long 44 minutes is. So we've resorted to saying things like, It's like going to the mall. That's how far away we are. Oh, I got it. Then they have kind of a calibration for understanding how far away we are. Or it's like going to the mall and back. Or it's like going to Disneyland. It's that far away. I mean, this is just to help them understand how to get from where they are to where they need to go and to have some kind of sense of time because in their little minds, they, they can't wrap it around there yet. But they need to understand the goal in order to be patient Because if they don't have any sense that this is ever going to end, five minutes may as well be 5,000 years for them. And they make that well known from the back seat. But they need to know the goal. And for us, on our walk down the pathway of our spiritual life, we too need to know the goal. How far away is it? What is the goal of where we're trying to go? And John gives it to us here very succinctly. He says, this is the goal. We know. Here's the goal that when he appears, we will be like him. That's the goal, very simply stated. It's a great definition of what spiritual growth is. It's right here in this verse. What is spiritual growth? Definition, Webster could say it, conformity to Christ. That is the goal. We will be like him. That's the goal. 
we know that when he does appear, we will be like him. And that's explained to us very clearly over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn there with me, because I think this is really important for us all to see this. It's directly connected here in this passage. Conformity to Christ is directly connected to knowing Christ, to seeing Christ. Paul says the reason that we don't preach about ourselves, but the reason that we preach about Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants, the reason that he goes through all that trouble, and even in the face of trial, is not because it's just what he wants to do, it's because it's what he must do. Preaching about himself is not going to change anyone's life, but he says, but as I show you Christ, it will change your life because knowing Christ is everything. And He says this, God... The one who said, don't forget, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give, here it is, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He says, when you see God, when you see Christ, what you're really gazing upon is the very nature and essence of who God is. And the same God who said, light shall shine in darkness, used that same power to say, light shall now shine in your heart as well. What's the light? The light is the person of Christ. And as you see him, he illuminates for you the nature of the Father. That is the way that spiritual growth takes place because the goal is conformity to Christ. The goal is Christ-likeness. And if to do that, you must first see him. You see, God's goal for us in this whole process is our conformity back to him. This has always been God's goal for us. Romans 8.29 says that essentially from before time, God had outlined this plan. He says this, just listen. For those whom God foreknew before he created anything, he also predestined them to become conformed to the image of his Son. Before anything else was created, God had already planned to make you like Christ. Revelation 22.4 shows us that if Romans 8.29 is the beginning of it with God's predestination for our conformity, Revelation 22.4 is the end of it, the completion of it. And in that passage, we're told there will no longer be any curse, think about that, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that place, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. Look at that phrase, his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name is going to be stamped on their foreheads. Where we belong to him, visibly so, conform, having been fully conformed into his image. You see, here in this passage, John is telling us that, that the goal is this. It's, it's not enough for you to just be God's biological child. He wants for you to take on the family likeness as well. He wants for you to be conformed to the person of Christ, to look like and act like you belong as part of this same family. Every year, 
many people send out Christmas cards, right? And, and we get those Christmas cards in our house and we save them for the year and we look through them every once in a while and pray for people that send us Christmas cards. But one thing strikes me in those Christmas cards when I look at those throughout the course of the year. Everyone on those cards looks like they belong as part of that family, right? Most people send cards where everyone looks rather comparable to one another, They all have similar clothing on or they all are there as a family and everything about the picture on the card says we are a family and everyone in this image belongs here because we all want people to know who our families are. We're proud of our families. And occasionally when someone doesn't act like they should in a particular family, I remember my dad saying this to me when I would act up as a kid, whose child are you anyway? Where did you come from? Because I wasn't looking like the family. I was not behaving as a Gregory was expected to behave. And so I'd better get my behavior over here into line. You need to look like you're a member of this family. Most families understand that. That's what God is saying here. He's saying you need to take on the image of this new family into which you have been adopted. Look like you belong now. It's not enough just to have the DNA of new life stamped upon you. You must now look like and act like you belong here as well. The ultimate goal of that, the ultimate accomplishment of that will come when we see him perfectly. That is the objective. And what I love about this verse is the word he uses here. He's not saying, I think when he appears, we will be like him. He's not saying, I hope when he appears, we will be like him. What's he say? He says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. It's a word that means to be confident in your awareness of something that isn't visible. Even though our vision is impaired right now, even though we can't see him perfectly and he's not in focus as he ought to be for us because of our limitations we still can be confident and know that the day is coming when the goal will be reached. It's our knowledge of his nature during his first coming that gives us this confidence enough to know that there will be greater understanding at his second coming. What do we know? What is the point of the promise? It's this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until, what's the verse say? The day of Christ Jesus. And in that day, the work is done. And that is the goal. We will be like him. Without doubt, with certainty, all will be made right. We will be brought into conformity with his likeness. Now that doesn't mean that we become just like him. It doesn't mean that we are equal to him in that sense, but it means that we are characteristic. We act like the way he acts. The, Greek, the Greeks had two words for likeness. One meant to be equal to something in weight, size, or number. The other word meant for, to be uh, in line with the characteristics of someone. And we're never going to be equal to Christ. That's not what this verse is teaching here. But we will look like him. And we will bear the characteristics of who he is. And what are those characteristics? Well, simply put, they are the fruit of of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against all these things, there is no law. 
And that's what Pastor John was talking about this morning as he was saying, walk by the Spirit as he was preaching on Galatians chapter 5 because it is the Holy Spirit who begins to form in you these kinds of responses to the situations around you. And as you see these fruits of the Spirit being produced within you, you can have great confidence that you are being conformed to the image of Christ by the Spirit of God because this is what Christ looks like. It is the reflection that he gives to us in himself of God the Father. And we look at these truths and we say, okay, I want the obstacles removed and I want the fruit of the Spirit present as I begin to be fashioned into the image of God's Son, but you still haven't told me how to go about accomplishing the removal of the obstacles and the accomplishment of the goal. We've seen the foundation, we've seen the obstacles, we've seen the goal, and now at the end of verse 2, he's going to give us the catalyst for growth. Here is how it actually happens. And we've kind of walked around it and hinted at it already this morning, but here's how it happens. We will be like him. Why? How? How can this be? John says, because we will see him just as he is. That is how he will take us from who we are and make us into who we need to be. And in making that comment, John is drawing a very tight connection between your growth in Christ and your relationship to Christ. If you want to love him, you must know him. And if you want to know him, you must see him. Do you see the circle that's taking place there? It's a very tight connectivity. There are three events laid out in this, in this verse in very sequential and logical order. Christ appears, we see him, we become like him. So clearly this verse is teaching that there's a clear connection between the vision of Christ and likeness to Christ. Colossians 3.4 says it this way, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There's an amazing passage that I want you to see. It's also written by the Apostle John. It's over in John chapter 17. Turn there with me because this is truly amazing. It's pretty short, but it's worth taking notice of here as we look at what is it about the sight of Christ that causes us to grow. John 17, 24 and this, what's amazing here is that in this passage, Jesus is not talking to his disciples. He's not talking to a crowd of people. He is talking to none other than God the Father. He is praying to God and making a request of God, and he's essentially praying for his disciples. He's praying for you. And here is what he prays. Here's what Jesus, the Son of God, prays to God the Father on your behalf. He says, Father, I desire that they also, all those, who, who are they? He says it, all those whom you have given me may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundations of the world. He's asking that God will deliver into his hands all of those who have been called to be his followers. Why? So that they may see 
with their own eyes the greatness of the glory that is produced by the love of God, not only for his son, but also for his disciples. He's saying, please bring them to the place where they can see me in my glory. Why would he say that? Go back to chapter 3, verse 2. Because when we see him, when we see his great glory, when we see his great love perfectly on the day of Christ Jesus, when we stand before him, we will be like him, having seen him just as he is. You see, it is your vision of the greatness of who Christ is that allows you to be conformed into his image. The goal of the Christian life, it is not perfection. It is rather devotion. It's not that you cannot see him until you're perfectly like him. It's that you won't be like him until you actually see him. That's the point here. And the obvious application then for us is twofold. What is it? Do everything you can now to expose yourself to him. If seeing him transforms you into being like him, then do everything you can now to get more of him. On the flip side, do everything you can now to remove everything that obscures him. Because the day will come when you stare into his face and you see him clearly in the fullness of his glory, just as he prayed for you. And in that day, he will assuredly make certain that your image is a reflection of his own. And in that day, no longer will you look in the mirror and find a flawed sinner struggling against the restraints of your flesh, but in that day, you will look at yourself. And rather than seeing you, you'll see him resident within you. Because your life is hid with Christ in God, you can trust that the day is coming when he will complete the good work that he has begun within you. And if you know the love of God, if you feel the frustration of the obstacles where you cannot yet perfectly see him, then this future day when all is made right should be your greatest hope. It should be your deepest anticipation. It should be your most sincere desire because everything about your life today, it, it points to the moment when you behold his unveiled face and are instantly transformed from the body of death to the eternal likeness in the image of God. That gives you hope. And the knowledge of that goal, the awareness of where you're going, it illumines the pathway to growth right now. Go find Christ and seek to live according to the power of God's Spirit resident within you in light of who He is. Be conformed to Christ as the command in Galatians 5 was given to us already this morning. So if you would grow spiritually, the equation is very simple. Look at Christ. And if you can't see him, then find out what's clouding your vision. Because there's no way to grow spiritually if you don't know his love for you. And if you don't take time to gaze upon him, or if sin exists within your life, clouding your vision of him, you cannot, you will not grow. What must we know? The love of God for us in the person of Christ. How do we grow? By looking at the person of Christ and clinging to him. The next time we're together in verse 3, we're going to find out exactly what we must show then if this is our deepest hope. Here's what it says, just a quick preview. And everyone who has this hope of seeing him purifies himself just as he 
is pure. See, it's your knowledge of Christ, your knowledge of his love, your vision of him that then enables and empowers the purity and conviction of a sanctified life. Your spiritual walk is defined, you see, by your vision of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for its truth. We thank you that it teaches us how to be conformed into the image of your Son. So may our awareness of the person of Christ be so very clear. May our hearts yearn with all those biblical authors that we've examined this morning, Peter, John, Paul. May, all, may our hearts, may our hearts cry be that which was theirs as well, that we yearn looking forward to the day of the upward call in Christ Jesus when we see his face and are perfectly conformed to the image of who you created us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.